Welcome, friends, to the May 23rd episode of my podcast, Medicine in Action. Several of you have asked me to cover the topic of uh, inflammation, vascular health, and how we can improve our immunity to minimize the odds of getting bad outcomes with a COVID-19 infection. I will try to cover some of those topics today. We unfortunately don't have data for a lot of the things I will mention today, but we are trying to read between the lines or glean what we believe is reasonable information. So some of this information may be controversial, but I'll tell you my opinion and biases on it. We're all hearing that uh, several people who get the COVID-19 infection seem to have a very mild course or no symptoms at all, and then several others it's proving deadly. And we also know multiple factors that are responsible for bad outcomes. And those, of course, are older age, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and any other significant comorbidities that lower the immunity, including people with cancer, chemotherapy. And those are understandable. But we still see sometimes relatively healthy younger patients who have bad outcomes and they succumb to this disease. And we still have a lot to understand uh, as to why that happens. And we do not fully understand it at this time. But we're starting to see a few patterns emerge. And uh, some of those may be helpful to the listeners. Uh, We spoke about uh, the immune system on the last program. Uh, There are two main lines of immunity. Our innate immunity, which is the first line of defense that will help stop invaders coming into the body, and then our cell-mediated or acquired immunity, which acquires over a period of time and gives us the antibodies to fight the specific infections. There are some few general principles we all are familiar with, know about, that I will just mention for completeness sake, but we won't focus on them today. Uh, Obviously, we all know don't smoke, Uh, That seems to worsen the lung function and increase the risk of uh, lung complications from this infection. Eating a diet uh, high in fruits and vegetables is a good thing. Seems to be anti-inflammatory. We'll talk a lot about inflammation today. Exercise regularly. That seems to boost the innate immunity. Several studies show increased functional macrophages that last days to weeks after even uh, small uh, exercise. Uh, Do not gain weight, and if you're overweight, trying to lose is very important. Moderate alcohol use, uh, heavy alcohol consumption seems to suppress immune responses. Uh, Adequate sleep is very important. We know that because uh, lower sleep tends to increase cortisol levels, which tends to suppress the immune function. Then we'll talk uh, somewhat about reducing stress because stress obviously generates inflammation. Uh, Some role of diet we'll cover today. And I've mentioned previously good studies showing link between vitamin D and a lower chance of uh, bad outcomes, better immunity. So some sun exposure with vitamin D would be very helpful to most of the listeners. Uh, Today, the main focus is going to be the role of inflammation and the role of diet and immune responses. This is a very controversial topic indeed, 
because rigorous, well-designed, randomized studies are lacking. This is our gold standard, which we always like to have. But uh, these studies are notoriously hard to do because uh, diet studies where people are controlled into two groups and maintain strict diets are very, very difficult. But still, there's enough data out there that we can glean patterns and at least try to get some idea on, uh, on what things are helpful. The basic principles of food, I love Michael Pollan's uh, explanation. He has the most concise uh, description of what is a good diet. He says, uh, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And when he says eat food means eat real food, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, fish, meat, but not food-like substances, you know, anything that we would pick up at the grocery store, which would be like portable yogurt tubes or things that are 15 ingredients that we can't speak the names of, those are preservatives. Those are food additives that we do not know what they do to us, and they may cause problems. Our bodies have a unique system how they adapt to what's put into us, and our bodies have adapted over the thousands of years to the diets we're used to. So it doesn't matter. There's not one diet that's better than any other. But it is what your bodies and nature you've adapted to. So like the Maasai in Africa will subsist on cattle blood and meat and milk and nothing else. And they are fine and healthy. Native Americans lived on beans and maize. The Inuit in Greenland lived on whale blubber and a little bit of lichen. But the diet that we have, the Western diet, seems to be a lot of processed foods which are obviously not working for us. We're adding things and in a short span of time, in, in humanity terms, this is a short span of 50 to 100 years. This has been a giant experiment we've subjected ourselves to and it's not worked out well. So the first eat food means eat real food. Don't eat anything that has multiple ingredients that we don't know the names of, we can't pronounce them. When we go to the supermarket, I always say shop in the perimeter, which is where generally in the American food stores, we have the real fruits, vegetables on the outskirts. In the aisles in between are mainly processed foods that come in packages, avoid them. Uh, don't eat anything that won't rot, you know, that's basically got too much preservatives. And it's also not just what you eat, but how you eat. Eating with the family, with less distractions, and stopping before you're full are very important principles as well. And not too much is that point, is stop before we're completely full. And mostly plant, most of our diet should be from plant sources, fruits and vegetables, some lean meats, fish, occasional red meat are okay. So those, those that's about what I'll say about food. I know there's a lot of information out there about food that is conflicting, controversial, this diet and that diet. I don't think people need to get caught up in that. If you stick to these basic principles, you're good. And these make sense physiologically because basically what they're saying is what our bodies are adapted to and what they have figured out a way how to break them down and use them effectively. We really do not know how a lot of the additives, preservatives, and chemicals do in the body, and they sometimes don't work hard, and we don't find that out for many decades or years after we've started using them. Now on to inflammation. 
So the word inflammation comes from the Latin inflammare, which means to set on fire. When we study medical school, our textbook of pathology, Robbins, our Bible, the first chapter is on inflammation, and it's a very important chapter. Inflammation is, of course, a very important natural way of coping with injury and infection. It's the body's defense. Whenever there is an injury, the blood vessels will dilate, so more blood can come to the troubled area, and our immune system, army of white cells, many different types come to the area. They destroy the foreign pathogen. Usually after a few hours or a few days, the immune system is supposed to downshift and the inflammation subsides. And uh, the body is kept healthy. We never want to eliminate inflammation entirely, but the idea of everything in the body is to keep it under check. There is no mechanism or system in the body that is one-directional. Everything has to be bi-directional. means if there is a gas pedal to drive inflammation, there's also a brake pedal to stop it. Just as with clotting, there's a very, very fine balance between both sides. It's when one side overwhelms the other, problems happen. And we believe that maybe the problem with COVID-19 in certain patients that the inflammation takes over and has a runaway effect causing cytokine storms and other problems. These are, again, as I've said before, not entirely clear, but uh, significant evidence is accumulating now with the children developing this chronic inflammatory syndrome, the same problems we're seeing in, as we were seeing in adults. So what are the things that cause inflammation? It's very important to know. And how do we check it? One of my dear friends asked me, uh, how can I find out if my inflammation markers are high? So there is a few simple tests your doctors can do uh, that would help. And the simplest test is a C-reactive protein. It's a blood test. A healthy level for the American labs usually runs zero to one. And anything higher would indicate some degree. And some degree of inflammation can be seen, but very high degrees sustained over time is unhealthy. Another test we uh, can run is a homocysteine level. That's also associated with inflammation, hardening and narrowing of the arteries, and perhaps an increased risk of heart attack strokes. That may be somewhat controversial, but the levels should generally be less than eight micromole per liter. Uh, other markers would be low levels of vitamin D. We've talked about this before. This is quite well worked out. Even in the oncology literature, we know that vitamin D has a very important role in maintaining immune health, including against cancer. So the data between vitamin D and colon cancers is quite clear. So again, these are correlations, not causations at this time. It means that when we have gone back and looked at patients who had these problems, they tended to have lower levels of vitamin D. Uh, of course, uh, supplementing vitamin D is important. Smoking, we've talked about that. Excessive alcohol, chronic stress, chronic gum disease. The commonest problem is obesity, uh, especially the belly fat. That seems to have a very pro-inflammatory effect on the body. Diabetes, of course, has the same effect on it. Lack of sleep has the same effect. And pro-inflammatory diet, uh, which is low in omega-3s, also seems to have that effect on it. So there are lots of these same factors that we talked about that are 
good for maintaining immunity are also going to lower the level of inflammation in the body. So what things can be done? Uh, I think checking levels of C-reactive protein in the body, if it's possible to go to your physician, those would be good. Avoiding anything that increases inflammation. So one of the commonest uh, things we're seeing is an imbalance between omega-3 and omega-6. Again, these are two very important fatty acids in the body. And unfortunately, the American diet has uh, gotten a very high levels of uh, processed vegetable oils, which seems to be very high in omega-6. And that's uh, affected the balance. So normally, the balance between omega-3 and omega-6 should be about 1 is to 1. But the refined vegetable oils, which are present in all processed foods, including salad dressings, uh, they tend to increase the omega-6. The average American diet has a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of almost 20 to 1. The problem is not that these oils are bad for you necessarily by themselves. And I'm talking about soybean oil, corn oil, cottonseed, sunflower, peanut oil. But it's the balance of the ratio. Because we are getting so many of the hidden omega-6s from the processed foods that we're eating, the balance is off. And both of them are essential fatty acids. They, we need them in our diet because our body can make them. And in evolution, humans have gotten a ratio of 1 is to 1 in the natural diet because our diet was more plant-based. Our sources of fat would be more plant-based. There's a significant hypothesis that too much omega-3 relative to omega, omega-6 relative to omega-3 can contribute to chronic inflammation, and that can put people at risk of this as well. So generally what I say is that cutting back processed foods will help do that. Even at home when you're cooking, you can have a mix of vegetable oils and olive oil to balance it out. There is a lot of uh, chemistry that goes behind it, and I won't have the time today to get into it, but uh, there's a reason why oils that are very high in polyunsaturated fats are very susceptible to oxidation, both on the shelf and inside our body, and that oxidation can cause problems, which is why uh, we need to balance that out. Uh, obviously, avoiding hydrogenated vegetable oils, which are high in trans fats, are absolutely uh, advisable. So those would be margarine and things of that nature. Uh, vegetable oils are heart friendly. There's no question about it that high levels of omega-6 and lower cholesterol. But the data as to if the lower risk of heart disease is unclear. So they are generally vegetable oils are healthy sources of fat. But having a balance between omega-6 and omega-3 is a good idea and avoiding hydrogenated vegetable oils is a good idea. So those were the main points of that. Then what are the other things that can lower inflammation? So consumer prebiotics, which is like dietary fiber, is great. That promotes our healthy bacteria in the gut. So anything with natural fiber, apples, beans, cabbages, onions, asparagus, all vegetables, they're basically very, very good. Adding probiotics, these could be yogurts, 
people, some people like sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, kombucha, all of those are fine. Uh, using antibiotics cautiously. When you need to use antibiotics, you use them, but unnecessary use may be counterproductive. Supplementing B vitamins may be helpful because they can lower the levels of homocysteine, as we talked about, which promotes inflammation. So generally, uh, if your diet is not perfect, adding a B-complex vitamin, very important. A big shout out to my dentist friends. Uh, taking care of your gums is very important. Avoiding periodontal disease, risk factor for inflammation again. Uh, then there is also the whole issue of what supplements to be taken. So we've mentioned vitamin D, we've mentioned vitamin B complex, but another one that can be taken in diet or supplement is curcumin. This is a collective name for a group of you know, nutraceuticals, if you would call them, called curcuminoids, which come from the turmeric root, uh, quite popular in the Indian diet. Uh, they have a very strong anti-inflammatory effect. There's over seven, 8,000 published articles that have shown the benefits of curcumin, including very powerful anti-inflammatory properties, antioxidant properties, blood sugar regulation, and anti-cancer properties. I can speak to the anti-cancer studies that have been done, which have shown at least a cytostatic effect. Uh, certain of these have been done under my watch as well and have clearly shown some benefit. The one thing I would mention is that these uh, curcuminoids are not well absorbed when they're taken by themselves. So take it either as the Indian diet has it with some fat uh, in vegetables, or if people are going to take supplements, then please take it with a fatty meal. And the last point I will talk about today is omega-3. So I think omega-3 fatty acid supplementation is helpful. People who eat a fish-rich diet or nuts get a fairly good amount. But for people who are not, uh, taking a supplement of omega-3 is, is a good idea. We do believe it helps even in chronic inflammatory diseases like arthritis, asthma. There's clearly some good data in terms of uh, depression, anxiety, reducing inflammation. Our body has a very limited capacity to produce uh, the omega-3 fatty acids, which are the EPA and the DHA, means we have to get our supply from foods. Plants do make a type of omega-3 called alpha-linolenic acid, ALA, and our body can convert it into EPA and DHA, but it's not very efficient. The best sources for this are cold water fish, which are salmon, sardines, trout, tuna, mackerel, uh, obviously watching out for mercury and dioxins in fish is very important. But I think the commonest way is for people to take a high quality fish oil supplement that can give about a thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA per day. A word of caution, these are strong antiplatelet medications, so please check with your physician. If they're safe for you, if you're on other blood thinners, you should avoid them because they can cause excessive bleeding problems. So in wrapping up, I think I will just summarize again uh, for the basic principles, eat food, real food, not too much, mainly plants, and uh, make sure that you're taking the measures to cut down the inflammation. Hopefully these measures can help improve our vascular health, our own ability to fight this infection till we can have either some treatments or vaccines available. Till next week, I'll say goodbye and uh, I'll be 
very appreciative of any feedback, comments, questions, and future topics that you might have for me. Please do not hesitate to reach out. I would also say uh, one more thing. If you have uh, any major comorbidities, illnesses, please do consult with your physician before you implement any of these changes. Thank you.